0: What, what are we talking about today curious cuisine
1: well it, it it's uh it's uh culinary catastrophes i think <laughs>
0: I think we have to have a disclaimer before we start though yeah you know if if we mention perchance your favorite dish or your favorite kind of cuisine and we make light of it, please do not take it in any way in, indicative of our general feeling it's it's
1: just you know Strange occurrences. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Do you remember, Lord? Do you, do you what? What was your first experience in the kitchen? Be it either you cooking or the first um, meal you remember when you were when you were little, little growing up there in uh, in Hawley. Yeah. Um,
0: well, my mother would make a roast
1: on Sundays, and
0: that was fine. You know, like you know, roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, the general you know, English Sunday lunch. What wasn't good, and the reason that I no longer eat leftovers, was Monday was cold cuts. Tuesday was some kind of stew made from the bits that were left over from the cold cuts. Wednesday, maybe there was something that had, you know, a little frick say of whatever we'd had before. And it wasn't till Friday and being, you know, uh, Catholic that I actually got a change in my diet, which, you know, fish on Fridays. So, um, yeah, I hate leftovers. That's really my first thought about... I, think, I won't
1: eat them even today. Did the um, Did the Tollhursts have a, a large refrigerator?
0: Not really. I don't think anybody in England had a large refrigerator back then. They were about the size of, uh, you know, sort of like... Um, T V set really most people's refrigerators back then. I don't remember having, you know, like like now, you know, living in America, I have this, you know, gigantic thing you can probably step inside, but not back then. So a small refrigerator.
1: It's the the walk in fridge, right?
0: Pretty much so. Yeah. Yeah. And um you know, it, it it's it's a different it's a different day, you know. We we had the pantry. We had the pantry when I was a kid, you know, which was basically Something that had a wall on the outside, which made it really cold in there. Mm. But when I was a kid, I would hide in
1: the pantry. There was a cupboard in our kitchen. It was called the meat safe. (laughs) And it was like just a regular wooden cupboard, freestanding. had little holes sort of in a pattern on the outside. And apparently that would have been where the meat would be stored, I suppose, so the flies couldn't get in. (laughs) <laughs> but we had the same thing—a Sunday roast. It was, uh, it was lamb for us. Same thing, lamb on Sunday, sandwiches on Monday, cold cuts Tuesday. Yeah, it
0: seems to be the story of that. The 70s. thank goodness
1: for Friday,
0: right. right? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I. I'm- I waited. I loved Fridays because, you know, I, I'd be the one sent down to the fish and chip shop to get, you know, the fish for Fridays. So, you know, I would go down there, and get, you know, Ooh. two pieces of cod, a piece of skate for my dad, you know, because he likes skate and uh, chips, you know, pickled egg, gherkin, you know, saveloy, whatever, you know. So the fish and chip shop was featured pretty heavily in my life as a boy.
1: Yes, as a kid, we'd go down to the the, the chippy, right. as we call it. everything. Everything in Liverpool is like shortened with a Y, a y on the end, you know. Right. <laughs> so the chip shop becomes the chippy. Yeah. So we went down the chippy, and uh, it was basically I forget what it was, but it was basically what was left in the deep fryer when everything had been sold and gone. It was like bits of batter, crispy bits that were
0: Oh, the bits, the bits, yeah, right.
1: But at home we had. Uh, a, a, a deep fryer a, a a pan that sat on the the cooker and it sat right. there because it was full of lard, yeah, which is probably like beef dripping lard fat. yeah beef dripping and it, yeah. it, and it, it solidified Yes. once yeah once you you 'd done your cooking, you just left it there and it 's solidified yeah ready for the next time, right, I suppose it was maturing.
0: Has it solidified inside our arteries as well, you know, if you think about that? You
1: know, we, we, I don't re- don't recall the, the chip pan. It caught fire one t- time too many, and um, that was it. We got rid of it. And then I think we moved on to uh, cooking oil and lighter uh, sunflower oil, things like this. But then I do think we stopped making... Uh, Doing um, chips or French fries at home, right? um, Because um, it was easy just to get them from down the chippy. Right. Was there a meal, another meal that you made? Hmm. Baked beans on toast. Oh, was that for Saturday? Saturday morning.
0: That was for any damn time I wanted it. You know, like I would just complain to my mother, "I'm not eating cold cuts again. I don't want the stew." She go, okay. Baked beans on toast. I go, okay. And then for the real, the supreme version of that was baked beans on toast with a fried egg on top.
1: HP sauce, brown sauce.
0: HB sauce, yes, HP sauce. That's it. I'd add, add all of those things together.
1: For all you listeners in North America and other parts of the world who are not familiar with the term HP brown sauce, this is HP brown sauce is houses of parliament. Famous for the Guy Fawkes' gunpowder plot. No, no, I digress. No. <laughs> H. B. Yeah. brown sauce. Like steak sauce, right, Lowell? Only on better. Yeah. Yeah, it's like
0: steak sauce, only better. And the baked beans, it has to be said, in England are better than the baked beans I've encountered in North America. Because the baked beans in North America have little bits of bacon. in. Oh, them, the bacon bits. You know, which doesn't make them a vegetarian dish to me, but.
1: Okay, we we must throw in at at this point. I must uh, take you to Hawaii, uh, Creatures' first uh, album as the Creatures, uh, recorded in Hawaii. I left with some drumsticks. We had a couple of songs written. We had all the wrong clothing because it was like I think I had my leathers with me in the suitcase, which which rotted as soon as I got there. Um, (laughs) They went moldy in the wardrobe. But I had. Tins of Heinz baked beans, because although I'd been to America, I don't think I'd ever been to a supermarket. But I'd heard that Heinz baked beans had bacon bits in, and I was a newly, you know, a, a newly venturing vegetarian at this point. And I thought, mm. oh, what am I going to do? I'm going to be in Hawaii. What am I going to have for my, you know, my breakfast and my lunch and my dinner? Right. <laughs> but actually, as you know well, uh, Hawaiian cuisine, Hawaiian food. Who needs heinz baked Beans? Well, yes,
0: exactly. There's some, some delicious foods to be had in Hawaii, and uh, none of them involve meat, really. So, you know, great. Um, I'm trying to think the other things that I, I had as a kid. Well, those are the main dishes that I had as a kid, for sure. Um, marmite, of course, there was marmite with soldiers into your soft-boiled egg. Mm. So soldiers for people who don't know was like little bits of toast like a piece of toast mm-hmm. with marmite on top cut into little strips so you could stick it in the top of your your boiled egg and that that was a great delicacy when i was a kid i i can see you know many people squirming and uh, thinking you know <coughs> like it's
1: delicacy but it actually was you know well we were... if you want to talk about you want to talk about squirming squirming and we're not we're, the, the, the local delicacy liverpool there's a thing called, it's like, uh, see, must, but, but there's a connection, big, strong connection between Liverpool and Ireland. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of Irish in Liverpool. All right. And uh, we, the, 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 there was a, the Irish stew, which is like a big casserole, obviously found its way over to the mainland. Yes. But, you know, times were tough after the war. And uh, so the Liverpool version was called lobbies. Lobbies? That's what it was called. Wow. It's basically lobbies is a short for lob lob scouse, which is like a scouse lobbies. Less, uh, um, basically means whatever you find, you lob in. L- lob being a Liverpool word <laughs> for, th- <laughs> for throw right. or chuck. Neither of what you really want to do around food, like throw up or chuck up, you know, it's like the thing you do on Friday night after the pub. Right. But it's, <laughs> it's like, but lobbies, lo- lobscows, was like potatoes, any bit of anything else that was lying around, carrots, leftover bits, you know, you pile it all in the big pan and hope for the best. Jeez. Um, and um, I got quite good at making lobbies. I did. I got. I, I was. We had a pressure cooker. Did you have a pressure cooker? Uh, wow, that, The pressure cooker back then? No, I mean, you know,
0: since I moved to America 25 years ago, um, I've discovered the pressure cooker. I, I was unaware of that growing up in England. Oh, sure. sure. I, grew, I
1: grew up with um, a, a pressure cooker. I think it was, no, it wasn't, it might have been a Hot Point, might have been a Hoover. I think they, I, I can't believe they made pressure cookers. But there it was a strange design, you know, the lid and you clasped it together. And I knew that this thing was, it cooked by pressure, so I was convinced it was always going to blow up. And then I heard the Alice Cooper on Alice Cooper's Alice Cooper's Love It To Death. Right, right. What's it called that song? Two pressure cookers go insane or something. <laughs> and it was all like uh, two pressure cookers go insane. <laughs> Uh we're all in this crazy dream I can't remember. Dun, 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 dun. But I thought Alice Cooper knows what pressure cookers are. I thought Blimey. I know what a pressure cooker is. Me and Alice are like Yeah, yeah you can bond. We were bonding bond the on the pressure cooker. He had a little weight on the top of it, and when it got up to pressure, it, the steam started to escape and this little weight spun round going psh. psh. Which is really scary, right? Because that was like a sign that was about to explode. I thought, yeah. And then once it had cooked for five minutes, (laughs) which is the equivalent of about an hour, you know, on on in a regular skillet, at least broiler. Um, See, I see. See, I know. I I know my American terms. You do. You do. You know the
0: right words.
1: So. Yeah, I do. I do recall going camping once. Uh, yeah. and so we went along, being good boy scouts with a, with a tent. And uh, we said, "What are we going to eat?" Yeah, and I said, "I can make lobbies," <laughs> <laughs> but I'd never made lobbies without the pressure cooker. And so we got the pan, and we put the potatoes in, the carrots, and the bits of meat whatever we had, and then sat it on this little Calligas heat cooker. Yeah, and waited, and waited. Yeah and waited till the water eventually started to boil. And I just whipped it out after five minutes because that's how long it took in the pressure cooker. Oh, God. And, the, you know, the potatoes were still hard and the carrots were still hard. And oh, yeah,
0: rock hard. And yeah.
1: my, my fellow oh. campers
0: were not, not at all amused. You learn, you learn, don't you, after a while. You know, you have to learn about, about the cooking. But yeah. I was a Boy Scout too, you know, and... Um, we had a tent that had all the, you know, it was like the larder for the camp with all the, you know, vittles in. And I went in the tent one day to get some things out. And two wasps that were sitting in there
1: flew up my shorts. Well, one eye, one eye, the leg. Yeah. Do you think they had a conversation before? Like that? You go the left, I'll go the right. Pretty much. Um, and I'll get in Scotland before you. It was very painful. <laughs> and then we
0: were sitting around the, the, you know, the campfire, as you do, and we were cooking sausages as you do bangers and one of them exploded and spat fat all over my leg which caused me caused me to mutter an expletive um very loudly in the vicinity of the um the camp leader who gave me the most withering look of my then 10 year old life and I ran up to the camp and uh, you know swore to god that I would never swear again if he'd release me you know from whatever punishment i was going to yeah Face.
1: You didn't go down to the local doctor's uh, surgery. No, no, no. I just suffered. Doctor, doctor. I've had two wasps at my shorts and a hot fat, hot fat dripping.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the next um, scenario was leaving home and learning how to cook when you leave home. Yeah. You know? Oh my so goodness. I had a flatmate who couldn't cook, so I did all the cooking. He did all the cleaning. Um, yeah, you because know, he was better at that. And I did all the cooking. So that's really how I learned to cook when I've moved out of home. And, uh, you know, gradually I, I decided, you know, I better learn how to feed myself properly because if I don't, it's going to be a miserable existence of, you know, takeaway and fish and chips forever. So um, so what was your dish? What was your go-to? What was your speciality? I could make a mean omelette pretty quickly. You know, that that requires a little technique, but I, I could make a pretty good omelette and then uh, – I was good at cooking fish. This was back before I was vegetarian. I could cook uh, a nice Dover sole meniere. I could do that.
1: Um, how about you? Well, my, my first experience would be um, I, the, in St. Helens still. I hadn't, I hadn't left for Liverpool yet, but a couple of them. Um, I was there at the art college, the little one. I was just left school, and a couple of guys had been out to college, so they'd been away from home. Learned the, uh, the trick of uh, looking after yourself a little bit. And so after the pub, we'd be round to one of their houses and raid the fridge. And it was basically whatever was in there got kind of put together with onions and garlic, tomatoes and chilies. It was always chilies. And we were making like spaghetti bolognese, Arabiata style. Yeah. So I took that skill with me out to Liverpool. Right. And so I then became the dilemma of how to feed yourself properly and enjoy you know the uh, the high life away from home and the pub on the corner and uh, how cheap is the you know what's the cheapest booze you can get right and so i thought well i have got to eat some meat because it was before i was vegetarian as well and i thought well i should eat liver right. because it's got it's got blood in it and i thought if i don't eat that then i'm probably my, my iron count i knew about iron right and i thought you can get iron in blood so i must eat liver which is pretty awful stuff because I could get the cheapest one. Right. And then used to like baste it in flour and put it in a frying pan, and it was pretty awful yeah. and, and smelled pretty bad. Right. But And then I thought, hang on. Is this, this doesn't taste too good. I'm not enjoying it. Why don't I save the money I spend on liver and pop down the pub and then used to eat pickled onions and pickled eggs? Yeah. Like and in Liverpool, you get cockles and mussels as well, and all those things, um, which are all designed to make you drink more. <laughs> yeah. But there was um, a club. It was called the, so- the Somali Club, run by a Somali, Somali gentleman. Right. And and the booze was quite cheap. And if you could stick it out to the end of the night, which is about 2 o'clock in the morning, they came around with a free curry. Wow. Content's unknown. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, at that point of the night, you didn't really care. Right. And then quite often, the lights would suddenly come on and the police would be raiding the joint. They were just looking for, you know, oh. illicit substances. And then we do so sometimes you just end all, and all the whole Somali club stuffed with goat curry, all pretty worse for would End up down the cop shop going, oh no, not again. Oh dear. Lovely memory. Did you ever make your own beer?
0: Because that was a cheap way for us to, you know, things. I I made my own beer. My mother experimented with a few different types of bottles for making wine. And unfortunately, she put some stuff in screw-topped bottles, which, you know, with the fermentation process is not recommended, kids, because you'll basically make you know, little bombs.
1: I think that's more dangerous than a pressure cooker, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, she stuck. <laughs> we, we had a little cupboard under the stairs and she stuck her homemade wine under there with the screw top bottles. And one Sunday afternoon, multiple explosions and it was all the <laughs> bottles of potato wine or something exploding under the stairs. But I did make my own beer and it was absolutely vile, I have to say, but it did the job. So I drank it. Um, The person who made the best beer in our sort of, you know, coterie of friends and family was Robert's father. Oh, yes. You know, because, you know, I guess he had a chemistry background and stuff. And um, so whenever we would go somewhere when we were teenagers, we would uh, snaffle a bottle or two of, um, you know, Robert's dad's homebrew and take that off somewhere with us because, you know, it was very good and you could
1: carry it around in small bottles and it was very, very strong. Oh, wow. We loved that. No, I never got onto home brew law, no, but that, the, the, some of my friends in St. Helens, uh, their dad said, uh, so I did I did sample it then, but we didn't have the money for the ingredients even in Liverpool. In fact, we were, we were so poor, right. myself, um, Holly, uh, Ian Brody, Bill Drummond, Jane Casey, Big in Japan, and we'd uh, we'd re- rehearse right. every day right. at the uh, Eric's Club, uh, and we'd hang out in the Cardoma Cafe. Right. So we had one baked potato for the whole band, right. and we'd split that up on a plate, and then say, "How many cups of tea can we afford?" You know, it was really sad, right. but but it bonded us. We bonded over <laughs> pota- <laughs> a jacket potato, jacket potatoes. Yeah, and then if somebody got a bit of money, you know, we might get like two. But also uh, Eric's we of course we were pretty much living in the club right and so if we did a bit of work around the place hopped a bit of gear in and stuff we'd get free burgers no idea what was in the burgers but they came out pretty okay they did the trick did the trick yeah at the beginning of of uh,
0: our musical careers i'm sure we both did you know many many tours up and down the highways and byways of england there's two things that i wanted to bring up one is you know the service stations of English motorways, How you know, you encounter those places at three o'clock in the morning as you're driving back from some
1: geek on the M1. We, we used to always, you'd always bump into a, another band, like, who were either oh, yeah. more established or, or up and coming. Right. Um, you'd always meet, like, the Dave Edmonds yeah. band or, you know, uh, the Fabulous Poodles <laughs> or... Yeah, Uh, you you name it. Whoever just had a hit record, you know, you're bound to meet them, and and there'd be a lot of like throwing stuff. You know, they're like, yeah, you're rubbish. Punk rock's a thing, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah.
0: It has to be said, service stations in the rest of Europe were so much better. Oh my gosh! Stop in Italian service station. It was like a beautiful meal. Stop in a Dutch service station. It was beautiful meal. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, we 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 came from sort of the the post um post war deprivation of England extended to food as well. Believe you me. I mean, you know, at some point the the cure became uh you know successful enough, I guess, to take our own caterers with us. And that was the best thing that we ever did, you know, for our health on the road. Because you know, what happens with a lot of bands is, is they get this uh, little bit of money every day given to them by the tour manager called the pedium. You know, it's Latin for something per day, I guess. Oh, the PDs, the PDs, no, PDs, the PDs. Right. So you get your PDs every week. The tour manager hands out PDs, and the idea is to feed yourself. Because, you know, you might be traveling around and you'll not be, you know, in the vicinity of uh, the venue or whatever. And so the idea is you use this money, you know, just in your pocket to feed yourself. And, of course, that never happens at all because everybody in the band just buys drinks with it. So, you know, eating can become a problem if you're on a long tour, you know, gradually everybody gets unhealthier and unhealthier if there's such a phrase and so when we when we introduced having our own caterers who would bring their own ovens and fridges and you know supplies on the road with them which all go in the back of the the big truck and uh, they would wheel it out in the morning and cook breakfast for everybody and then by the time we got there in the afternoon they were getting ready to cook dinner and uh because you know we were playing while a lot of people are eating their dinner in the crew uh, rather than have uh, you know whatever was the the the, the plat du jour every day mm. we could request what we'd actually like and so you know after the show so you know the, you'll you know you'll back me up on this one budgie but most drummers you know don't like to eat before the show because um, you don't want to feel full while you're playing And uh, so you'll eat afterwards because, you know, you've expended a lot of energy and you need need to carb up a bit as uh, our old manager would say. And um, so after the show, I would probably have uh, a large sandwich with uh, Boursin cheese, which was my favorite at that point. You know, I I discovered that in France on a tour and I like borsan cheese. Well, you know, usually the most garlicky one, which would make me, you know, kind of uh, a bit on his inhospitable to a lot of people.
1: I, I <laughs> you know I'm I'm I do remember the c- the catering arriving. I remember eat to the beat and wherever, wherever the other ones were called Yeah and I thought yeah really thought that, that that was for the crew. I thought isn't that nice we're looking after the crew because the crew always did the sound check and then they all they all sat down for a meal. Yeah. And because we were in a hotel, we had to go back to the hotel. Right. And we go back to the hotel. and There was like nothing to eat. Because that you know, we were always and then of course, like you say, right. You didn't you couldn't eat before the show. And then we did the show and the caterers had all packed away. So I never even <laughs> experienced that right. all this catering that came off with us. Right. Right. We could have done with the catering when we hit Germany, because if, I remember being on the road in Germany. Yeah. He just didn't bother eating. You remember the German service stations? Right. You, you'd approach the, uh, the cooking, the, the, the bar in these uh, German service station, and there'd be a big pot of pink things boiling away. They were like pig's trotters. That's the feet of a pig. Right. And you go like, mm-hmm. you, know, you know what? I'm not, I'm not really hungry. No, not hungry. <laughs> I think I was veering towards vegetarianism, and Germany helped me along with vegetarianism no end. Right? Should we raise the bar a little? Should, well, should we Should we? Should we? I think we should raise the raise the bar to some of the uh, culinary highlights of of your uh, your travels.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to raise it with the first one. And when you said the word "raise the bar," this this will make sense so we were in Amsterdam and we were staying at this one hotel which will be nameless at the center of Amsterdam that had a club in the basement of of the hotel which we would would visit and uh one night after we had come back you know from the show and we went down to the club and had a few extra drinks and then a few hours later a few extra drinks and then I thought for some strange reason I was under the impression that this large bowl mm-hmm. in front of me on the table in the club was was, was some kind of exotic cocktail because it had a you – know, it was a very large bulb with liquid in it and some flowers floating around it. I thought, oh, that's nice, it's a nice cocktail. And I, I was pretty thirsty, so I took a, a big swig and then I took a few more swigs and then I drained it. And then somebody, one of my uh, – mm-hmm drinking companions <laughs> told me that what i actually had to drink was was really the flower display you know and uh that's probably why i was feeling a little bit more more hydrated in a way <laughs> um we went to japan and we went out to a, to a restaurant and um it was a fish restaurant and the this restaurant had four four sides around a, a large pool in the middle of the restaurant and in the pool was all the fish swimming and we thought that's nice you know got a nice little fish pond in the middle and and, and, and then they have a, a man that walks on these little stilty shoes across the middle of the pool and whatever fish you had picked out that you'd like to to try that night he has a little net and he flicks it out of the pool onto the you know, the, the customers are sitting around three sides of this pool. And on the fourth side is the chef. And the, the chef has this, you know, fish whipped onto the little... Uh...
1: Can, can we just stop? We have to stop right there. We have to hold it right there. And we just have a little disclaimer for the young, uh, young listeners here. That you may want to just uh, hide your ears right yeah. now as we get, we get into the graphic description of the, the, the fish flying through the air from the little pool in the middle of the uh, restaurant there with a man on stilts. And then the fish
0: lands on the slab with the chef, and the chef puts a little cloth over the fish. And before you know it, uh, the fish and its head have parted company, and uh, the, the fish head is still mm. moving, and mm-hmm. uh, they actually disturbed several people in our party, including uh, Robert. And uh, I don't think anything was uh, part- partaken of there, you know, because it you know, seemed a, li- a, li- a little. Extreme, yes, yeah, probably put us towards uh, yeah, vegetarianism quicker.
1: Well, we we hung out uh, on in, in Japanese restaurants of by by choice if it wasn't a, just a really hot curry, but what, what we yes. gravitated towards um, sushi restaurants and places primarily because the food was pretty quick, easy to eat, and they had sake. Yeah, and Saki, I think, right. changed the band. Yeah, it all has to do with the availability of alcohol.
0: I think, really.
1: Yeah, I love the, the the Japanese when we got to the restaurants in in probably in Tokyo. Yeah, were the I'd never we hadn't come across them before. where the tables very low, and of course the floor gives way underneath, so you're sitting on on floor level, yes. and then your legs are stretched out underneath right. the table. But I thought it was really nice because. As the saki went down, you could just slide under the table. Yeah, no, not too far to fall. No, no distance at all. No. Very nice. I thought very, very considerate.
0: Or, as you might well remember, outside of the Camden Palace, there used to be the Greek restaurant that uh, everybody used to get to go to at three
1: o'clock in the morning. Oh. I remember that. I remember the Greek restaurants, uh, in, certainly in Camden Town, because we did the kiss in the Dreamhouse at Mike Edge's studio and Bayham Street. Right. And before we would meet in the Greek restaurant, one of them, Mud Hiders, whatever they, whatever they were called, and we'd we'd stock up on on, on retsina and um, and and the brandy and 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 then we'd go start work around about eight o'clock in the evening and work through till eight o'clock in the morning. Right. And squint out into the uh the the camden traffic (laughs) um but uh so isn't isn't
0: that the worst thing about recording in a studio in london overnight that you've always got that journey from the studio to your abode the next morning yeah in rush hour and everybody's looking really bright-eyed bushy-tailed scrubbed and fresh and you're thinking Oh, my God, I just want to go home and get under the covers and pull the curtains
1: shut. Get me to my bed. Yeah. They were famous, the Greek restaurants. There was a really, really crazy one in uh, Percy Street. I think Severin had an a, a flat there in Percy Street. Uh, there were two big brothers who ran this place, and it was trying to outdo everybody. It was one of those restaurants where you break plates and so to show like how
0: Oh much, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: the Elise it was called. And so they had a house band mm. playing these amazing Greek dance tunes, usually with really strange time signatures. Right. And we and then you'd just be a pile of crockery. This of course it wasn't real they were not real plates. They were plates you were bought to to smash. Right. Uh, but right. sometimes they'd lay a table and some, they'd just kick the table over. And I do remember one night they set a table on fire. <laughs> then they put the put it out with a fire extinguisher. And then to be one-upmanship, one of the brothers came out with a road drill and proceeded to dig up the dance floor in the middle of the restaurant with a road drill. And this was met with applause from everybody going, oh like, yes, it was so brilliant. And you, I always remember <laughs> these two guys were, were literally poured into a taxi at the end and the taxi just kind of sunk over on one side as the wheels collapsed because these guys were so big
0: (laughs) Curious Creatures is created and presented by Bol Tolhurst and Budgie Producer Joe Wong Producer and audio designer Dan Didier Executive Producer Mark Cates Associate Producer Sophie Spare Social Media Margie Taylor Art and logo design Justin Thomas K. Music production Jack Knife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web, and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com.
1: I love saying www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com. And you can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> at Curious Creatures Official twitter at cure creatures
0: to find more of the best music podcasts visit doubleelvis.com or follow at double elvis on instagram and at double elvis fm on twitter curious creatures is a production of lxb llc 2021